This is the Living Rotisano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Romans 1, 18-32. In this passage, Paul articulates God's initial action and the human condition. Together, we discuss the importance of serving and worshiping the Creator. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through Romans. Um, As a quick reminder, last week in our episode, um, we looked at uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, which communicated, uh, we identified, communicated Paul's uh, prayers, plans, and the point of him writing the letter And together, we discussed a variety of themes that emerged in this prayer of thanksgiving in Paul's letter to the Romans. And specifically, uh, we found ourselves looking at the obligation that we have to those around us, the obligation that Paul uh, identified that he had to people to, to share the gospel and to live out Christ in front of them, and by extension, the obligation that we also have. Uh, this week, we're going to be closing out uh, chapter one. So we'll be looking at verses 18 through 32. Um, and in this passage, Paul articulates God's initial action and what we'll just identify as the human condition. Um, we have Brittany reading for us today. So, Brittany, would you mind reading Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32? Romans 1 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. 
They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do, do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Brittany. Um, as we move into a conversation on this passage, uh, I think it would be important to first uh, hold it together with um, our passage from last week. And so as a quick reminder, uh, verse 17 so that's the, the final verse from last week before moving into this week says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this, this idea closes our conversation last week of the gospel um, is the place where the righteousness of God is revealed. And then you begin with our passage today that addresses this idea of the wrath of God being revealed. And so, I mean, I, I recognize, we recognize that the conversation is going to get a little heavy today and, and may seem, uh, I guess, negative in a sense, but that's why it's important for us to hold it together with the closing of last week's conversation and recognize that this, this idea of, of wrath goes hand in hand with the revelation of God's righteousness. And, and so it's not necessarily like this down downer conversation. It's just this is the other side of the coin of the revelation of, of God. Like in, in his righteousness being revealed with it, um, naturally as a result of who we are and the things that we have done, his wrath is also revealed. This is the good news of the gospel though, really, right? Like when we realize how much we are in need of saving, um, as, as we read, as, as Brittany read through this list, like I, I can go item by item and go, Oop, Oop, done that done that. And so as, as we like reflect on the brokenness and the imperfect action and how far we are from what God's intention was for his, his creation made perfect, um, it, it accentuates how good of news the gospel message really is because we really do need this savior. We really do need this Jesus to give us new life, to make us new. And so I think holding these two together is really, really important, um, both to see the good of the gospel message, the positive, and both to see also to see the negative pieces that he's saving us from. Yeah, I'm I'm so thankful. Like as we uh, as we like look at this, that God doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. That from the very beginning, He's been working to help us see Him throughout humanity. Uh, throughout creation. Um, he doesn't just allow us to try to, you know, figure it out. I think uh, we heard the example of going into the mountains on Sunday. 
And like I have worked on a surface coal mine and, and I've experienced seeing the sunrise and looking out across the mountaintops. Like you can see nothing but trees and mountaintops and just know that there is something more that I'm just not figuring this out on my own, that God has painted a picture and he's trying to reveal himself throughout everything that we encounter in an effort to keep us from that other side of the coin because he desires us to, to be reconciled to him. That relationship would be restored. And part of that is he continually works to reveal himself to us. I could get lost in that aspect of creation, like, and, you know, worshiping the creator, um, all the years that I've spent, um, in science and, and studying the intricacies. So I focused a lot on the little things, um, what, what's happening like at a molecular level or at a, at a really, really small level. And the deeper you go into it, the more you realize, man, this took a masterful planner for, for him to set things in motion that, that this would be a result. This is amazing. Like he doesn't miss a thing. Every detail is so well thought out. When I think about the fact, you know, that, that I'm nerd out a little bit, but when I think about the fact that like plants are putting out the gas that animals and humanity, like that we need to breathe in. I mean, God thought of everything. Like he didn't miss a thing. And if anything would have been slightly different, it just, it, it wouldn't work. And so he just, I'm, I get lost in just awe of how incredible of a planner he is. And so that's, I mean, that's where Paul starts with our passage today. Um, right. Last week, this ending with God is revealed. He reveals himself through the gospel, right? The life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But that's not the first time that he has revealed himself. And that's kind of where Paul begins today in, in this proclamation, this identification, recognition that God, since the beginning, has been making himself known to humanity through creation, through his, his prophets, through like you could, the list goes on. Like God has not ever been trying to, to be hidden, to be secret. Um, I, I think about my, my own journey, my own, I guess, understanding of God. And I feel like there's, there's numerous times that I have found myself thinking that I can't see God and I put it on him. Usually I, I had, I had put it on him. I'd be like, well, you know, like God is just mysterious right now. Like he's staying in in the background and not wanting to be found, but that's just, by nature, like that's not who God is from what Paul is talking about here. Like God is making himself known. He is not hidden. He is not trying to be secretive. And because he is not hidden, because he is not secretive, we are without excuse. And so it's, I mean, again, coming back to me, it's not him that was hiding. It's me that was missing it when I would find those times where I'm like, man, I don't see God. I don't, I'm not experiencing God. I, I need to own that and not put that on him. I think previously we've talked a lot about expectation of God and like what our, what the plans are that we have. And a lot of times we've, we've talked about how 
we often miss him because we're expecting him to behave in a certain right. way or to appear in a certain location or something like that. And so there, there's that component at work, which isn't God's desire. He, he wants to, you know, he wants to reveal himself. He doesn't want us to get lost in our, our preconceived notions. And so, um, as you're mentioning that, I'm thinking, goodness, this is a callback to that simplicity that we, we have talked about in the last couple of episodes where we really just need to to create space in the all the right. things that we believe we know for God to actually reveal himself in new and fresh ways continually um, by holding constantly holding the things that we've always believed to be true, just kind of in balance with what God is continuing to reveal to us about God's self. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, this is something that we do as a church regularly um, as a part of our rhythms. Like on, on Sunday, we begin with the question, who do you say that I am and do you understand what I've done? On Thursdays, same questions are asked. On Wednesdays with our children, those questions are asked. On Sunday evenings with our teens, those questions are asked because we recognize just how pivotal it is for us to be keeping our eyes open to seeing. Because we we do believe what Paul is saying here, that God is revealing himself. And so we have this responsibility to look. And this last Sunday, that was kind of what we closed with, was this invitation to be looking for what God is doing and who he is in the midst of what he is doing. And I, I think you're, you're right, Natasha. Like It's not just the busyness of life that distracts us from being able to see who he is and what he's doing. It's also the expectations we carry about him that might distract us from being able to see who he is and what he is doing. And so really like at just at the outset of this passage i feel like we find ourselves in this place where paul is is challenging us to to set aside expectations and also to set aside our busyness and go back to i'll use the same word you did maybe meaning a little more than what you meant but the simplicity of life and of understanding of him where we allow him to actually be the one who is revealing instead of us being the one who is trying to uncover something. Yeah, so um, I I really like reading the NLT. And uh, verse 21 specifically talks about, you know, it, in my translation, um, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And I think when we when we start putting those expectations like you talked about on God, we can we can get confused and we can get dark because we we think, oh, well, if we expect God to continuously bless us, that he's going to financially bless us all the time. The the moment that he doesn't do that, hmm. we're like, well, where are you? What are you doing? Like you get confused and because your your expectation is not God's expectation and is not who God really is. And I think not only, I think not, I think knowing who he is is not only good for us, but it's also, it's good for that relationship so that we can have that relationship that's true and honest. And he, sometimes it's really hard because I want to, you know, I think about the things that I've learned as I was younger, learning about God and God is love and God is good. And he is all those things. And he's also just, 
and sometimes just doesn't feel good. So when, when I see that just part of God come through, I have to remind myself, you know, he's God. The things that he's doing are good, even if they don't feel good right now. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's something that really like really spoke to me when I was reading through this. That conversation came up, um, just this week actually with, with the teens over the weekend, um, where we, somebody was sharing kind of this conviction that they had had and in, in response to what, what have you seen Jesus doing? What good things have you seen? Yeah. And so they, they shared this conviction and they were like wrestling with, well, maybe it's not really good. I don't know, like if I would call this good, but when you think about it, the fact that we, that God has given us the Holy spirit to convict us, like that is good. Mm -hmm. That is love. And, and so, like you said, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's hard. Um, but that's his, his love and his, his justice and um, his, his desire to help us to grow, to not leave us where we are, but to continue to, right. to bring us forward in understanding him better and what he desires of us. And I think part of the problem is sometimes we we try to take on the role of God in some, you know, it says in, that they knew God. Well, we can know God and still know what God does, but still feel like we want to have this element of control or feel like we need to have our way in the situation. So we try to force God's hand into doing what we want to do and I feel like that, that that can be an easy trap to fall into, even though we know God and we know what it, it feels like I'm trying to steal his glory when I try to take a decision upon myself, because I'm no longer saying that you are who I, I've said you are. Even though I know who you are, I still want me to be in control. I still want to have that ability to decide yes and no. And so... It, cont- it takes continual effort to not walk in that decision to take God's role away from him and say, I am subjecting, I am submitting myself to you. Um, much like Paul, when he begins this, says, I'm subjecting myself to you. And that is exactly what I have to do when when it's so easy to want to take control, it's easy for us to have our way in any situation, but we have to, it's like this simple, but hard, the simple, but hard, like it's simple, just obey what God asks you to do, but it's hard because you have to give up control. I feel like Josh has said this really well, many times. Those, those are great plans that you're trying to write, Nick. Now, how about you let, let God sort this out? Like, you know, like I feel like, um, it's that same idea. But I I mean, I feel like that lends us to the, how we can claim to be wise, but really be foolish. Um, when we, we think we've, we've given ourselves a place that we, we weren't intended to have and we can become foolish because, um, it's as if we're, we're no longer relying on God. We're relying on ourselves, and we don't. It's as if we can walk into this place of, I don't need it anymore because I've got it figured out. 
Well, or an even more dangerous place, like this thought that I have it and I have figured it out and it's actually not it. Right. And I think that's what the NLT, I feel like it, it, the way it was worded kind of presented that idea so clearly where the people like Paul is, is lining out this problem where, um, I mean, it could be summed up in a, a, a word of idolatry, but the people have erred in their thinking and their expectations, and they think that they know God, but they don't actually know God. And yet they're continuing down that path. And as she was reading that, and as you guys have been talking, the thought that came to my mind is, as I think about like a, a relationship, like with, with Natasha, with my spouse, um, we start having problems when I have an expectation of who she is or how she should be in a given situation. When I don't allow her to be who she is and come to know that, but instead I try to impose my expectations, my perspective of how it should be. Like that's when problems begin. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just in my mind, that's like a microcosm of what Paul is explaining is happening between humanity and God. This is where the problems began when, when the people began to bring in their expectations that like they think they know better who God is than God knows of himself. If that makes any sense, that just got confusing as I was saying it, but like they think they know better. And so they just run with it. And as they're running with it, as they're living in this life of worship, quote unquote, um, they find themselves sliding into idolatry, what would be identified as idolatry. Maybe they don't, maybe they wouldn't say it's idolatry. They think, oh no, we're still like, we're worshiping God, but no, they're missing it because they are not like, like it's this, it's their own conception, their own idea of who God is and not actually a, a revelation of God that they are, are like worshiping. And this is the beginning of the problem. Like this is, this is the root of the problem and everything else that follows is all just a consequence of this initial decision of idolatry or of laying my own version of God on who I think God is rather than allowing God to be God. And so Jesus's response to this is to continue to allow humanity to make their choice. He doesn't try to force his way. He doesn't um, take away our ability to to choose or to go the wrong direction. He gives us over to our depraved minds, and um, and that's as you mentioned. That's where we see see all of this godlessness, and because it's it is it's devoid of God maybe well-intended some of it, but devoid of God. And so to like take it back to that beginning, that verse 18, where we said, you know, we need to make sure we hold it in context. Um, but we read verse 18 where it talks about the wrath of God being revealed. Um, I'll just say, I think I have previously initially read this and thought of like judgment day and, and what's to come. But I think that's not really what Paul is talking about here. I think Paul is actually talking about this inactive wrath, like an active 
thing that is being revealed. And as I read this passage as a whole, I, I think that's what we read about when we hit verse 24 and on is the revelation of that wrath. And so if we were to look at like kind of this, I don't know, this, uh, this passage in parts, like you have like this one part, the beginning first two or three verses. Well, the first verse is like a, a call out to the end, like a reading ahead, a foreshadowing. And then you have the next two verses that talk about God revealing himself in creation. And then you have the next few verses that talk about the, idolatry that humanity chose rather than serving God, rather than worshiping God, they worship their own version of God. And then you have the third section, which addresses the result of idolatry, the result of people worshiping their own God. Um, and in my, in my Bible, I like there's three sections, but in my Bible, I kind of wrote it into two where I said that first part is the root and then from verse 24 on is the fruit. And so since this is what has been done, since the the response of humanity has been to essentially ignore the revelation of God through creation and come up with our own conceptions of who God is and what God is, then the result that we see is this really falling apart of the the moral fabric of society. And I think that we we can literally look throughout all of human history and see this being played out. But it's not just been played out in the past. We can see this being actively played out even today. The choice and the result where people choose to put their focus elsewhere. That might be a, a more modern day version of, of, of idolatry, like identifying idolatry. We don't really use that word um, in common speak, um, but idolatry is simply placing our focus on things that it ought not be on. Like God deserves our full focus, our primary focus, our only focus. And so if we're going to focus on other things, we're placing them in a position that they shouldn't be in. And when we focus on other things, we begin to see the wheels fall off. And to get caught up on like the list that Paul gives from verse 24 on and, and identifying them as the, the sin that is ruining the world we miss it. We miss actually what the problem is. We get distracted and, and we will never be able to, to, to return when we are focused on, on those pieces because right. the real problem is, is not all of this immorality. The real problem is the lack of focus on God that then results in immorality. And I think that we as a church have gotten a little caught up on verse 24 through 32. And we have ignored just how foundational verses 21 through 23 are 
to the rest of the conversation. We, we've tried to address the morality issues with a list of do's and don'ts in hope in hopes that people would avert their or revert their eyes to God. But instead, in creating these lists of do's and don'ts, we've just created more things for people to focus on that still keeps their focus away from God. And when our focus is not him, when he is not our one and only, we can continue to expect the moral wheels to fall off. And even if our intentions are good, right? Like I I understand that what I'm saying might sound hypercritical of the church, but I do believe that there was at the beginning of all of this, there was a lot of really good intention people that were like, man, we need to help people see Jesus again. And so they, they put these rules in place and unfortunately it just missed it. And, and so we have got to somehow get back to our first love yeah, and I would I would even say though that uh, kind of like you alluded to, we we take too much of that upon ourselves um, because I had mentioned this at the the table on Sunday, verse nineteen. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, is is not a past tense word. He is still making Himself plain. If we are focusing on Jesus. We are focusing on God. We're focusing on loving Him first and out of that loving humanity around us. I feel like God will accomplish what God desires to accomplish. In us and through us. Exactly. We we are on this mission together. He has chosen to work through us. But when we implement do's and don'ts, we're very much like the Pharisees that Jesus fought against throughout His ministry. I don't want to be a person that makes a list of do's and don'ts. I want to be a person that points to Jesus, to the love and hope. And for me, that verse 19 is a hope. It's like a call back to hope after we see this list. It's the hope that we have a choice to, to live in this faith, in this, this faith that brings us to a place of righteousness, because God is working to make himself plain to creation. And we're a part of that. We're part of that process of being made plain, but we're not meant to take the place of God and decide what's right and wrong. And so, Jesus, I just want to simply learn to focus on you and out of that, learn to love people. That's really it. Like, love Jesus, love people, obey, listen. If I can accomplish those four things, I think I'll be okay. And then just keep trying to repeat. I don't have to tell people what's right and wrong. Because the life that, that God is living through me will be all that I need to share with people. And in those times that he gives me words to say, I'm sure that in living the life that he's called me to will be enough. Because we're part of creation. He's making himself plain through us. And if he's not, then he's not our focus. And I mean, again, this is the good news of the gospel that Paul's like kind of sharing and and what he's going to really get into in the coming chapters, but this reality that 
we have all this brokenness because we've focused on the, this list of things, do, do this, do this, do not do this, do not do this. We focused on the list, removed our focus from God, and Jesus died to set us free from having to focus on this, these long lists of things. He simplified it. Like we talked about at the beginning of, of the podcast, he, right. he simplified it by saying, hey, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Listen to him. He'll tell you what to do next. Just listen to him. Don't get distracted. Keep your eyes on him. Do what he says. And it's that, it really is that simple. You know, verse 25, it talks about, it says, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. And I, I think that's, you know, where we get tripped up. You know, we see these things and they're good things. And that's how we know that that God is in it. But we're focusing on that instead of the creator who is creating those things. And then it goes down, I'm going way down, sorry. Um, verse 32, it says, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. We know better. We know better. Um, I make a video for the kids every week, and um, this week was fairly easy to do. It, you know, where, where, where are you focusing at? And for little kids, I think I have like first graders and under the youngest, I think they're two or three of the youngest ones. And trying to think of how, how does a toddler focus on things that are not of God? That's a little difficult (laughs) (laughs) because their focus is really small anyway. Um, But I put it in very, very like, you like your iPad. Do you spend as much time on your iPad as you do talking to Jesus or listening to Jesus or listening to your mom and dad? And, um, you know, hopefully in ways to, to hopefully get their mind to think that way. Um, but as I was preparing that, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, gosh, am I spending as much time talking to Jesus as I do everything else? Like, am I listening to Jesus all the time or am I too busy complaining? Am I listening to Jesus and talking to Jesus or am I, you know, mad? Cause that's easy. It's easy to get mad and frustrated with people. Am I, am I living in that as instead of living in the joy that God created and worshiping the creator of that joy? Um, so that, that was really, um, a, a dagger to the heart this week as I was, you know, trying to think of something for the little kids, but in, you know, through that, God was like, check yourself. With that, I mean, it. this may sound a little silly, but legitimately on Sunday, um, one of the members of our church came up to me and was uh, talking about just a couple weeks back feeling convicted about spending more time with, with God and specifically like reading scripture. Um, and he was explaining that it's just been, it's been a struggle to develop this, this discipline in in his life. And he said this last week, he saw a, like a series of pictures, like a a meme type thing. And the, the challenge at the beginning of it was, um, it said something like, so you don't have enough time to spend with God or something like that. And then it showed this person in just, like a typical life day, like a, like a, a strip of pictures, typical life day. And 
it was like this individual holding their phone and like you would look at it and go, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Waiting in line. Got your phone, uh, sitting, waiting for, to pick up your child at school, you know, you're on your phone and it's like all of this stuff and it's there. And then at the end of it, it's like, what if you replaced every single one of these images of a phone with a Bible? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, we have choices mm-hmm. to make. Yep. And are we making the choice to make him our focus? Or are we making the choice to allow other things to become our focus? And Paul makes it pretty clear what the result is based on where our focus is. So it's easy to look at this and and wonder why why God allows this. Why does he allow for us to get ourselves in that in that predicament? And you in thinking about, you know, he's a loving father. And sometimes it's hard to look at thing look at this and be like, oh yeah, that's a loving father. Um but he loves us so much that he lets us make our own decisions. So with that, you have the opportunity every single day, every single moment to make the decision of how you're going to spend your time, how your thoughts are going to be, the words that come out of your mouth. So choose this day who you will serve. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Romans, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.